parents, um, I have a question for you. What is the one thing that is the hardest to teach your children? It's not eat your vegetables. It's not stop hitting your sibling. No, it's patience, right? Patience is a hard thing to teach. Most kids, and I would dare say probably a lot of adults for that matter, have no concept of patience and waiting. I mean, get out on 540 first thing in the morning or in the evening trying to come home and see what I'm talking about. Now, for kids, this is especially gets, uh, becomes true as we get closer to Christmas, right? It's like they, they're ready. They want their presents. They want them now. They don't want to wait for Christmas to come. So how do you answer your kids when they ask for something? Sometimes it's, yes, you can have that, or yes, whatever. Sometimes it's no, right? You know better, you know. And then there's times where you may say, wait, not yet. Now, saying yes feels good, right? We're tempted to just go ahead and say yes, get them out of our hair and let, you know, go on about our way. Sometimes we have to say no because... It's the best for them, or we have something better in mind for them, right? But that last one, that weight, that's tough. Probably the hardest to take because waiting is hard. God answers our prayers in much the same way. When we go to him asking for things, he may say yes, he may say no, I have something better for you, or he may say wait. Not yet. I struggle with that because God almost never works on my timeline. No, I, it's, I know when I need it, God, I need it now. I get rather impatient, and I can be an impatient person, as my family can probably uh, attest, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. So it and it really comes as no surprise that we as people have problems waiting. I mean, we live in a society of instant gratification, right? We have microwaves and Instapots and air fryers that can cook food in a matter of minutes instead of waiting for them on the stove or in the oven. What do you mean if I put this in the oven, I've got to wait 45 minutes for it to cook? I can put it in the microwave and I can, have, I can be eating in five minutes. Why wait? Amazon. Oh, that one. Mm. That one is certainly not a lesson in patience because we can order something today and it's on our doorstep tomorrow. The Internet. We have instant access to information that when I was a kid, you had to slog through these things called books to find what you were looking for. Encyclopedias, right? Remember those? Boy. So it's, it's no wonder that we have trouble waiting. And it's, it's no wonder that waiting causes all sorts of anxiety in us when we're in the waiting, even when it comes to God. We pray for answers or directions, and when God says, no, wait... We're tempted to rush to find the answers ourselves because we know better than God, right? We know what's best for us, right? 
we know what's ahead, right? Consider the benefits of waiting, though. Waiting causes us to slow down. It causes us to think about our blessings. It causes us to, uh, to grow. It can even cause us to grow and learn. It can keep us from making mistakes. And God can do some really amazing things in us and through us while we're waiting on that answer if we only trust in God's promises. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to preach your word and to hear your word this morning. God, I pray you would speak through me and may the meditations of my heart and all of our hearts and our minds be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes, uh, we have two passages we're going to be reading. The first one is from 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah from Tishbe, who was one of the settlers, settlers in Gilead, said to Ahab, As surely as the Lord lives, Israel's God, the one I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain these years until I say so. Then the Lord's word came to Elijah, Go from here and turn east, hide by the Cherith brook that faces the Jordan River. You can drink from the brook. I have also ordered the ravens to provide for you there. Elijah went and did just what the Lord said. He stayed by the Cherith brook that faced the Jordan River. The ravens brought bread and meat in the mornings and evenings. He drank from the Cherith brook. After a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. The Lord's word came to Elijah, Get up and go to Zarephath near Sidon and stay there. I have ordered a widow there to take care of you. Elijah left and went to Zarephath. As he came to the town gate, he saw a widow collecting sticks. He called out to her, Please get me a little water for me in this cup so I can drink. She went to get some water. He then said to her, Please get me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any food only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in a bottle. Look at me. I'm collecting two sticks so that I can make some food for myself and my son. We'll eat the last of the food and then die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go and do what you said. Only make a little loaf of bread for me first, then bring it to me. You can make something for yourself and your son after that. This is what Israel's God, the Lord, says. The jar of flour won't decrease and the bottle of oil won't run out until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. The widow went and did what Elijah said. So the widow, Elijah, and the widow's household ate for many days. The jar of flour didn't decrease, nor did the bottle of oil run out, just as the Lord spoke through Elijah. And then... From Acts chapter 1, Theophilus, the first scroll I wrote concerning uh, concerned everything Jesus did and taught from the beginning right up to the day when he was taken up into heaven. Before he was taken up, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instructed the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, this is what you have heard from me. 
John baptized with water, but only a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Jesus replied, it isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Jesus said these things as, he was, as they were watching. He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of sight. While he was going away, as they stared there toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they entered the city, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying, Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, Alphaeus' son, Simon the Zealot, Zealot, and Judas, James' son. All were united in their devotion to prayer, along with some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, we did a sermon series a while back uh, this year on prophets, and we didn't really talk about Elijah much, uh, but actually he's one of, considered one of Israel's greatest prophets. The scripture that we read this morning introduces us to him, and his first assignment is to go tell King Ahab that there's going to be a drought. Now, ironically, this drought comes about due to King Ahab leading the people of Israel away from worshiping God to worshiping the Canaanite god Baal, who happened to be their god of rain and fertility. So God is saying, let's see who actually is in charge here. So God then, after Elijah tells Ahab the news, God instructs Elijah, go wait by a brook. Now, in this case, a brook isn't like a river or some big massive body of water. A brook would be what I would have called growing up a wet weather branch, which is just simply a little stream of water that has water in it so long as there's rain. Seems kind of counterintuitive to go park yourself by a body of water that's going to dry up pretty soon when there's a drought coming. I think you would go sit by like Jordan Lake or Tar, Tar River or somewhere like that, that where there's plenty of water, right? But God did not question, uh, Elijah did not question God. God promised that, he would, uh, that Elijah would drink from the brook and that the ravens would bring him food. But then once the brook dried up, God said, all right, now go to Zarephath. I've got a widow there that's going to feed you. Again, counterintuitive, because this seems like just another branch that he's going to sit by. Because widows in that time were impoverished. They had no means of making money or having income. And so they were typically forced to beg for food. So how was this widow going to not only feed her Self and her son, but also Elijah. But she's already preparing to make her last meal and die. This widow would not have the provision to feed yet another person. 
But Elijah told her, do this, make me a piece of bread, and God will take care of, it, of you. And she did, and God provided in abundance. In fact, it was enough to get them through an entire three-year drought. After which Elijah goes on to have a, an epic showdown with the priest of Baal and, and confronted the king and, and queen of Israel for their unfaithfulness. But until that point in time, Elijah waited. You see, God often reminds us of his provision and his abundance in our waiting. We have to slow down and think about what God has given us, right? Just as with Elijah, God then equips us and prepares us for what is next for us. And as tempting as it is, we really shouldn't try to rush through that process. We want to get there. It's like, yeah, I would like to be done with these next two years of seminary, but I've got to work my way through it. I can't just rush that process. If we rush, there's a chance we might miss a blessing or a chance to bless someone else. Because if Elijah had rushed through and tried to find his own provisions instead of trusting God through the widow, the widow would never have experienced the blessing that she did and saw the miracle that occurred. So waiting can be beneficial, but it sounds like waiting is sitting around waiting, right? Not doing anything, but that's not what we need to be doing. We need to be at work. There is work to be done in the waiting. The disciples were no strangers to waiting either. They were always waiting on Jesus to explain some parable that he had just spoken or to come back from one of his prayer retreats. Even worse, they had to wait that slow, agonizing day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. That must have been some of the worst waiting in the world, not knowing that Sunday was coming. Then Jesus appeared to them, spent 40 days with them, instructed them what they were to do going forward. But he told them, as he, before he ascended, he said, do this, go wait in Jerusalem for what God had promised them, that is, the Holy Spirit. Well, what do the disciples do? No, they don't think about that. They want to know, oh, does this mean God, that you're going to, Jesus, you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? He didn't, they didn't pay attention to the fact that there was work to be done still. They only saw things in their time. But Jesus let them know it wasn't up for him to decide when the kingdom came. No, that was up to God the Father. Until that time came, he said, you've got work to do. You are to be my disciples in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So while they waited, we see at the end of that passage that they devoted themselves to prayer. Not only that, but in, at the end of Luke's uh, gospel, in the 24th chapter, verses 50 through 53, he said, He led them out, uh, he being Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, where he lifted his hands and blessed them. 
As he blessed them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem overwhelmed with joy. And they were continuously in the temple praising God. They didn't just go to a room and sit there and wait. No, they prayed, they worshiped. So my question is, is that our first inclination when we're waiting? Do we worship? Do we pray? Do we trust God to give us the promises that he's given us? You know, I, it, it's not my first inclination as an impatient person, man, I want to just, I want to try to kickstart God into action. So, come on, God. Please, let's, let's do this. I fall right into the trap of wanting God to act in my time instead of letting God do the work in God's time. I might even try to start manufacturing some of my own solutions. And, brother, that can be a mess. It's like trying to do a repair, and like if you're trying to repair some electrical work or plumbing in your house and you're not a good electrician or a good plumber, probably a good idea to rely on the experts for that, right? So what I should do, what we all should do, is to, and what I'm learning to do, is to simply trust God and wait for God to bring the answer. But we shouldn't forget the part about being disciples while we're waiting. That does not mean that we are just to sit around and do nothing. We still have work to do. Have you ever experienced what it's like to wait on God? When God just seems silent or he's telling you, no, not yet, wait, just hold on. Maybe it's about a job, maybe it's about a relationship, maybe it's about some important decision or a situation you're facing. So often we want God to operate on our timetable just like a toddler wanting something. He wants it right now. There is no arguing with him. He wants it right now. And she will cry and fuss until we give in, typically. Not so with God. Sometimes God does that, though, and lets us make a mess, right? And we have to learn the lesson the hard way. Or we start bargaining with God. God, if you'll just answer this prayer, I promise I'll go to church more. I promise I'll put more in the offering plate. I promise I'll go to B3. I'll do this. I'll do that. If only you just answer this prayer now. You know, when we try to create our own solution, if we think back to the story of Jonah, we see what kind of mess that can make when we try to do things our way. Things don't go so well. So it's better if we wait for God to answer our prayer in God's time. Keep praying, keep worshiping, keep working. An answer will come. Now think about us here at VCR. We have been praying for quite a while, that God would provide us some land where we can build church. We are anxiously waiting on God to answer that prayer. It would be so easy to just say, you know what, let's just go out and buy some land. 
Let's start a capital campaign. Let's get this ball rolling. But that's not the vision God has given us here at VCR. There was a sermon I heard by a third-year divinity school student in my first semester at Duke where she said, where God gives a vision, God gives provision. Where God gives a vision, God gives provision. We have to then wait for that provision to come instead of trying to manufacture it ourselves. We know throughout Scripture how God is faithful to give, and not just give, but give abundantly. And so let's wait. Let's keep praying. God will answer our prayer in God's time. Next week, we start the season of Advent. It's the season of waiting and great anticipation, right, as we celebrate the coming of the Savior. It's an opportunity to remember the greatest gift that humanity could ever have received. But then we also are given another great promise in our passage from Acts that at some point God will restore his kingdom here. We as Christians are waiting on that promise to put an end to the war and the hatred and the pain and the suffering that goes on around us. We so want it to just be done. We don't know when that's going to be, though. So while we wait for that promise, let's not just stand around staring up into heaven waiting for that coming. Let's keep praying. Let's continue to worship. You guys did a fabulous job this morning. I loved hearing the voices this morning raised in worship to God. Let's be busy doing the work that God has called us to do here in this community in Roseville at Village Church Roseville. Let's be busy living like family and loving like Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.